Hey everybody, welcome to today's podcast. Today I'm joined by my good friend Tuana Hines, who's visiting from Silver Spring, D.C. area. And uh, she runs a brand called Funky Brown Chick, and she's a sex educator, amongst other things. She's a writer. And I'm so ex- excited to have her join us today because, as, as you all know, Confusianity is largely about dealing with religion, but she's kind of all about sex and, and, and those kind of topics, and they're so intertwined. And uh, we're going to get into a lot of that today, and it's going to be juicy. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. So yeah, Tawana, you want to introduce yourself to, to everybody? And Yes, I am so incredibly happy to be here. I've listened to the podcast, love the podcast. Those of you, if you have not already subscribed, you absolutely should. Um, so yeah, so when we were talking about this, the thing that I got really excited about is people often approach these two worlds as if they're different. There's like sex, relationships, dating, all of that. And then separate and apart from that, that's religion, a completely different topic. And as you mentioned, these things are so incredibly intertwined, so it's great to have them. And I, of course, love talking about sex, (laughs) completely adore it, sex educator, and I run a company called Funky Brown Chick, as you mentioned. We bring the joy of entertainment and mass media to audiences to really make the world better. Uh, We want fewer HIV infections, we want more sex education, and we want laws that reflect the way families live now. So super excited to be here. Cool. All right, so um, to start out with, why don't we sort of go back to your upbringing, your childhood, and... We're going back to the childhood corner. We're going to time time travel here. Whoa, exciting. (laughs) So as a kid, like, how were you raised with religion, without religion? Definitely with religion. Like, yeah, not quite snake handling, but pretty close to that as far as, like... Really? Very, yeah, so I grew up... Uh, spent half of my childhood in Illinois, the other half in Mississippi, both very much Baptist, like black Baptist churches. The preachers up there sweating, throwing the thing <laughs> up into people, like very into it. Like yeah. we grew up like small town, southern and or small so- town in the south, very much like religious family. And I believed I was going to go to hell if I had sex before marriage. Mm-hmm. I thought I'll go to hell or I'll get pregnant yeah. or maybe I'll get syphilis. Like I will somehow yeah. be punished for having sex. Right. And so like I didn't have sex since I was 22 for the first time because one, nobody wanted to have sex with me. I was Aww. an awkward child. Wow. I was a very awkward, awkward high schooler. Other people had way more swag <laughs> way earlier than I did. Some uh. could argue I still don't have swag. <laughs> but whatever. Right. But whatever. Uh, so I was kind of an awkward kid. But anyway, so I didn't have sex for the first time until I was 22. That's pretty late. And pretty late in the game. Then, yeah. And even then, the reason why I allowed myself to do it, I was studying abroad at the time. And so I was like, different country, different rules. No one will know what I do hmm. over here. And so it was really the sense God of God will like, still know. But God is an American. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Not so really. The, God's jurisdiction. <laughs> it, it, God like, is only overseas yeah, the U.S. <laughs> the rationalizations in your mind. Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous, but yeah. obviously that's not true. God oversees Mexico too. It's not just the U.S. Uh, but no, I think so much of my mind was that like, uh, on a more serious note, it was this sense of 
God, religion, all of that is also the congregation that I belong to. And so it wasn't just that like, right. oh my gosh, I'm in another country, but it was like, I'm not around people who are going to judge, judge you. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that right. was really what it was more about. So yeah. I so you finished. were still a Christian at the time at, at 22. Very much so. Very, very much so. Okay. Like, yeah. And so, and then, you know, and even that's a slight tangent, but even that it's like, I think Christianity is as cultural as it is an actual religion itself, a set of beliefs. Beliefs. One of the things that I thought that was very interesting that you were saying about um, when you decide to leave the church or fall away, as they say, inside the church, right? Yeah. It's so much of your life. Yeah. It's not just a, do I believe in God or do I not? Right. Do I um, describe myself as a Christian, Christian or do I not? All of our values, our ethics... Um, the w way we interact with family members, like all of these things are so intertwined. And yeah. so at 22, like, yes, I would still at that point say I am a Christian, like identify myself that way instead of saying spiritual or something like that. And so I had finished school and I applied for this program. So I was over in England studying. And then that's when I was like, well, may as well go for it. May as well go all in here. And so I did. When in England. Exactly. Do as the English do. Hmm. And what do the English do? Drink and have sex, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, other things eat, as well, but eat fish and I, that's chips, what I watch did. Football. <laughs> I did all of those things uh -huh. and about one more. Yeah. <laughs> right on. So, how was that for you? In terms of, you don't have to go into the, the graphic sexuality of it if, <laughs> as much as you feel comfortable with. But I'm always open. But yeah. I'm curious, like for somebody who there was so much shame and yes. stigma and fear yes. attached to it beforehand. Absolutely. Having gone through it at that point, like, did it? Did you all of a sudden panic? Did you regret? Did I you? I think what I feared most is that I wouldn't know what to do. So I think oh, like as we in having like sex, you wouldn't be able to. Yes. Okay. I wouldn't know what to do. Um, I'm very competitive. I'm very driven, and I like being good at things. And so the thought that this was something at 22 that I felt completely yeah. like I don't even know what I'm doing. So I felt a little bit embarrassed and yeah. ashamed of me. I didn't even tell the guy it was my first time. It was just kind of like. I'm not even exactly sure what to do here, yeah. right? And I remember the thing I freaked out about the most were my legs. Do I just leave them straight? Do I like scissor them out? Do I wrap them? I was just and like, wait, wait. So have you ever seen porn at this point? Did you no, have any idea about no, like... No, I'd never seen porn. Okay. No. Okay. I grew up in rural Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> the internet's everywhere though. So... The average I don't know about age Illinois, of Illinois, but sees porn is um, between well, eight sure. and nine years old yeah, I'm now. Sure. Yeah, but yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, this was a while ago too. So I just didn't really, yeah. yeah, I didn't. I hadn't seen porn. I'd seen sex, obviously, on television and stuff. But sex isn't in real but, life as it appears in TV. Yeah. Too. Well, I, also I feel like sex back then was always under the sheets on yeah, soap operas unless you had and things cable, like that. Right. Right, right. Or it was that cheesy fade, like start yeah, kissing yeah, whatever, right. and then get all steamy. And, and then they wake up in bed. With the sheets wrapped around yes, their like exactly, tits and, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, unless you watch Skinamax at night, right. right, or something like that, you catch a little bit more. But yeah. generally speaking, there's just not a lot there. Um, so yeah, so I hadn't really just I didn't have a general knowledge, and that actually is one of the things that encouraged me to get super involved in sex education for adults too. It's that just because we're over the age of 18 doesn't mean that we know mm. everything we need to about sex and relationships. And like any yeah. learning, it's always continuing education. But so going back in time, traveling back to when I was 22, it was more that fear and uncertainty and embarrassment of not really knowing what I'm supposed to do. And then so the next morning, 
that's when I think a lot of the just like guilt and like mm-hmm. what happens now kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember just being like, eh, I'm not really sure. Like this is, I'm in new territory here and I'm kind yeah. of freaked out or whatever. And so that was my first time being penetrated by a penis sex. Cause often we talk about sex. I had done a lot of other so things. So did you do the anything but that exactly. Christians do? Christian, like, exactly. Okay, right. Everything Oral but sex. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, that's when I'd say the first time I had penis and vagina right. kind of insertion sex but i'd done a lot of things before that right. okay yeah so that was kind of my entry to it all okay yeah. so did the what won out afterwards what did the, the shame and the like i'm just curious like that transition, transition process yeah like, that's a really good question so i would say first there was still the shame and the Fear that something was going to happen to me. Like God was going to punish you. Like I'd be punished in some way. Lightning bolt or syphilis or well, syphilis. Exactly. <laughs> Equal weight there. <laughs> lightning bolt syphilis. Oh my goodness. But uh, no, the sense that there would be some type of repercussion, right? Yeah. Like, and you hear this language even now, and they're like, there should be some form of punishment. I think Trump said about abortion, mm. but like this sense that if there's something about sexual and reproductive health and rights or education or even having sex or whatever. If you're doing something that you're not to quote quote supposed to do, you should be punished. Is the idea. I grew up very much with that in my yeah. religious background. Is that if you did that, you should be punished. And so, like, I think I just kind of carried a lot of that for a little while. But then that didn't last very long because then the next thing I wondered was like, well, was that just what sex feels like with him, or is that sex all the time? So I have to have sex with more people. So your curiosity won out absolutely over your fear of something bad happening because yes, then exactly. you realize like oh nothing bad is happening and that is what ha- exactly because you're like well if i'm being punished i don't feel it right now like i don't see it i'm not being punished you know mm-hmm. so then the curiosity did went out and i was like well i just want to know more and then i what struck me is the little amount that i knew about sex and even my own body right like i didn't know how the reproductive system even worked and even now if you ask most adults where is in the where in the body is the baby when you're pregnant they'll answer the stomach it's not. It's in your womb. And so this is why in sex ed classes you get kids asking, if you have oral sex, can you get pregnant? Because there's no real understanding right. of what happens when you're inside the body and how the digestive tract vis-a-vis the reproductive tract works. And so I'm super interested in just kind of like having more conversations and teaching people about these things in a way that's fun and interesting and age appropriate for adults. Adults don't need to know, like most adults don't need to know a lot of the like basic ins and outs of like how sex works. They've kind of figured that out after a while. But more of these kinds of things, how do you behave as a grown ass man or grown ass woman or person, right? Like how do you conduct your life and your sex life in a way that's healthy, affirming, and happy and all of these wonderful things. So that's the stuff I get excited about. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. There's definitely yeah. a, a gap of knowledge for adults who don't like, I, I consider myself because you lost your, your virginity at 22. I, for me, it was 30. I don't think yeah. I ever knew that. Did I not ever tell you no. that? No. Yeah, yeah. I remember we bonded over both being raised evangelical yeah. and like Mine was having really sex. late in the uh, game. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but unlike you, I had seen porn before, so yeah. I kind of got it. Like yeah, I, under- yeah. I saw enough to know what, like, it, yeah, what exactly. it's like. But the strange transition for me was I had dated Christians only pretty much up, up until that point. And, you know, there's, there's a range of beliefs about sexual purity within the church. So like some mm-hmm. people, a lot of Christians, they still do have sex before marriage and it's not a big deal. 
for me, it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. And, and I understand that by the time I reached 28, 29, 30, and from what I had been hearing about other girls and whatnot, chances are I was going to get with somebody who already had sex, even though I was still a virgin. And I was okay with that. So it wasn't like I was so purist where I'm like, I'm a virgin and I'll only get with a virgin. Because, um, because that's the thing about Christianity is you're limiting yourself. If you're talking about your dating parameters and sex, like you're, you're limiting yourself to a subset of the population already with Christi- just Christians. And then on top of that, if you're going to be like, well, they only must be virgins as well. Within, like, You're really limiting yourself to virtually no options. So like I wasn't so strict about that, but what I will say is it was a huge transition for me from going to dating and being in relationships with Christians versus non-Christians afterwards. Oh, interesting. Because non-Christians are in a completely different timeline. Right. Like I started going out on dates with girls where they feel like they're holding out by waiting till the third date. And that blew my mind because I'm like, oh, I'm waiting for marriage. You're you know? like, All of a sudden, I'm talking about my third yeah, decade. Yeah. And, like... Like, and I had been doing that for 30 years. And then now, all of a sudden, three weeks later, I'm with somebody who's ready to have sex on the second date. And I'm like, whoa, 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 you know? So Interesting. For, from my perspective as a Christian guy who came out of it, it was very strange. And, it, and it's actually been kind of off-putting to a lot of non-Christian women I've dated. Like... Women, well, yeah, because so. because this is this is how things play out. Is that at first women will be like, "Oh, okay, I, wow, that's crazy." Like, uh, so you're you're not really into just having sex right away, and and it kind of blows their mind because most heterosexual males out there, the first thing they want to do is jump in the sack as soon as possible. That's just straight men around the board. And that's what we're told that men are supposed to want to do. And there's this sense of like, yeah, then this, we could talk about toxic masculinity mm. too, of this kind of like what men, what heterosexual cisgender men are trained and taught is supposed to be healthy and good when it comes to masculinity and what that word even means, right? Right. And so I think a lot of times we don't do... There's a difference between toxic masculinity and masculinity. And I think that what we're taught is masculinity. Some of that stuff in there are layers of toxicity, right? Just like workplace. You can say that about anything, right? So like workplace culture, a lot of what people say is workplace culture. Workplace. Ah. A lot of what people say is workplace culture is highly toxic, right? And so it's like we have to tease out those things that are not affirming and healthy and good and moving us forward. From the things that are good and they're fine and yeah. they're healthy. Yeah. I do. We, we can touch on that a little more yeah. in depth later. Um, just to wrap up this thought. It's weird because I'm a guy. I'm a straight guy. But at the same time, I don't feel like a normal straight guy. Like in the sense of there's societal standards or expectations of like what a guy is. Right. And this is why I often feel more like I identify as being more of an alien. But this also has to do with my childhood growing up in the military, like being the only Indian kid everywhere I went. I was always an outsider everywhere I went. And I would just kind of observe, oh, okay, this is what girls do. This is what guys do. Or, but I'm observing all white people. Got it. Or like white blacks and Hispanics. So so it wasn't me. I didn't grow up in an Indian community that was all like my kind of, so, and I understand as I grew up into my 20s and 30s, like guys are, you know, you watch beer commercials and I have guy friends and I kind of get a sense of what guys are, but there was a separation between what guys are and how, who I am, right? And this is a, a perfect example of that where I am start to date a non-Christian girl in my th- early 30s and they just uh, expect 
guy. You're going to make the first move. Yeah. You're going like to want to fuck them. Yeah, you're yeah, going to want to do all these things right off, right off the bat. You're going to know what you're doing. You're right. going to want to do all these things. Yeah. Like, and at first when I explain myself, they're like, oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. We'll go at your time. Whatever. How it's played out is that, that, that that's fine for like two or three dates. After that, the woman, she wants to get it on. She wants to have sex. And if I'm not ready, she starts taking it really personally. And she feels offended. She feels unattracted. She's like, why don't you like me? Do you think I'm ugly? Like, these are the things that have come up time and time again. And I'm like, it's not any of those things. It's just, I'm not, I don't really feel an emotional connection enough. Like, I, I, you know, but the first girl I ever fell in love with back in high school, I didn't even realize I liked her until six months after knowing her. And then, and then I felt like I fell in love with her over the span of an entire year. But like that takes time for me, right? And I, I get it. Now we live in such a swipe left, swipe right society where everything needs to happen instantaneously, which is way faster than the timeline that I would like. And I understand I can't take things as slow as I might like because the world just moves a lot faster and I have to just deal with that. But it is tricky because... Again, this is where I find myself kind of like an alien. Is like I kind of almost don't really fit or click with either the Christian women population because they're too conservative about things. But then I also don't fit with the more liberal, you know, anything goes, sex on the second date, first date, whatever kind of thing. So I'm kind of lost in between. I think a lot of people may feel that way because there are, there are Christians who have sex, right? So there mm-hmm. are Christians who have sex um, and sex on the first date, sex without a date, you know, whatever. It's like all those kinds of things. And there are people who are like the 40-year-old virgin kind of story, right? That storyline where it's like people who, it's not even for religious reasons, but just for whatever reason, they have not had sex, you know, for whatever, or they're perhaps asexual, right? So right. anything can be that thing. There was so much in what you said. There's so much. I'm like, oh my God, I can, it's like you're dating all these little pieces of me today when I nibble on each of these different right, stories, right. right? Exactly. So <laughs> much of it. Goodness. Um, so a couple, well, maybe I should have taken notes so I could think of all of this. You just throw this out there, my yeah. friend. Um, so one thing that I wanted to mention, you mentioned the word virgin, right? And even that idea, right, of virginity and being a virgin is so wrapped up in this idea of purity and that you're saving something when people even sell those purity rings and all oh, these God. things yeah. that sex is just somehow defiling of yourself right. and so you've got this virginal kind of like non defiled yeah. non-sexual kind of thing and then all of a sudden we jump into it and that in and of itself is a very harmful narrative about how we experience our sexual lives and sexual pleasure yeah. and things like that And but that's what we're taught right like right. we're taught that like the thing called virginity exists and then when we have penetrative sex for the first time, then you've, you know, popped that cherry or you are no longer a virgin or all of these kinds of things. And it's like when we start peeling those layers back, that's well, let just me ask a you this about that. Like, do you feel like that is specific to religion or do you think that's society wide, like even for non-Christian people as well, like to be raised in that sort of purity? Culture? I think I don't think it's exclusive to Christianity. I really don't. Like, I think so much of the sense of like that language of like virginity and all of these things um is outside of christianity as well like the sense of like how we view sex and our culture in particular in the united states 
I would say that that virginity language, that sense of like purity is still very much there. Elizabeth Smart actually talked a lot about that when she was abducted. Right. And so after she was assaulted, she, and she said she'd gotten, and I'm paraphrasing here, so... Yeah, I just heard about her story. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. A chewed up piece of bubble gum. They said, once you've had sex, you're like a chewed up piece of bubble mm. gum. And who wants to like chew someone else's gum and things like that? So here she is being sexually assaulted by this person. And so part of when she uh, was back in society and then the just kind of feeling the sense of like she had somehow been quote quote defiled or something horrible right right so we just have these really negative views of anything related to sex and separately conflating sex and abuse and so a lot of that comes in when we talk about like virginity and all of that stuff do you think it's um different for men and women like a double standard because typically you know people will say like if a guy has a lot of sex, he's like a stud, right? But if a girl has a lot of sex, she's like a slut, right? I think one of the things that I love about the new generations, like, yes, that is a narrative that's out there, right? One of the things that makes me very excited about the newer generations, the Gen Z, right? So after millennials, so not even just like millennials, but even after that, is getting so much away from that, right? The sense of, one, gender identity of even like a lot more fluidity than probably either of us grew up with, mm-hmm. right? Of like saying man he him his all of these woman all of these things her she all of that and kind of playing with that a lot in a sense of like one can we say that those things even exist a hundred percent that all men are this way all women are this way everyone who identifies as she is this way he is that way and i feel like they've done a better job and have had much more openness than we had in our um upbringings and they just like think that that's fantastic and i think that's should be encouraged even more so so I think that's one that I do think that's changing. But when we think about how we grew up, that's totally what we were told, right? It's like a woman who had sex was viewed very differently than a man who has sex, right? And there's still a lot right. of that language. It's not like, oh, we're done with that. And right. aren't we perfect in society? It's like we still see a lot of like slut shaming, a lot of rape culture, a lot of things like that, that pivot and look very different when we're talking about women compared to when we're talking about men. Yeah, so... There is all of that stuff, too. We need to be better as a society on so many levels. Like, yeah. all the stuff you were talking about, alien, I love that word because, like... Um, well, I'm always just, like, I feel like I don't understand a lot of things. And I'm just curious. And I want to understand men, women, what motivates people. This transgender identity fluidity thing is, yeah. like, a, an entirely new concept to me just in the past year or two. So I'm still wrapping my head around that. Like, I, I don't really say much about it because I don't want to say something that will offend, like, a bazillion people. Yeah. Um, especially when I don't have enough personal experience and yeah. data to sort yeah. of really make yeah. an educated statement about it. So I kind of just stay out of it. But I, I observe all of the trends and, like, what people are saying about it because I, I do want to come to my own position about it, you know? So regardless of what the issue is, Um, I'm always just trying to understand society, understand people, understand myself, how I fit into the whole picture, no matter what, like, I feel like I'm always on that path. And I love that because we, the word alien in particular, because we used to use that word like alien registration number, like for people who came to the U.S. from elsewhere, we would call them aliens, literally like aliens. And so the word 
Um, it's funny how they only use that term for illegal aliens yeah, now. Yeah, illegal but not, aliens, but not which legal is ridiculous. Aliens. Exactly, I which never is hear insane. Ever... People aren't illegal and <clears throat> aliens aren't like all of it. But the word alien in the sense that you're using it, right? Not in that harmful kind of like anti-immigrant sense, but alien in the sense of like observer, like mm-hmm. someone who's on the outside looking in. I did my degrees in sociology. So I love all of this kind of like how we observe society and how we look at these kinds of things and really see ourselves as both observer and being observed, like how people perceive us and how we actually look at the society that we see out there. And I think so many people feel that way. I certainly do. Depending on different topics, right, or different areas of life or whatever, I think so many people can relate to that feeling of everybody else got the handbook and everybody else knows how this works. And I'm just kind of like... But the reality is nobody has a handbook. Exactly. Some people have more information than others. But and but, but and it's not even, right? So they may have more information than others in this area, but not in that area. And so mm-hmm. everybody's kind of winging it and doing the best we can mm-hmm. and trying to figure it out and kind of just trying, right? right. And I think so many of us have that feeling. I, um, whether it's, I've had a miscarriage and nobody talks about miscarriage, so everybody thinks they're the only one who can't get pregnant, right? And feeling bad about it. Or it's, I was the only Indian kid and no one kind of looked like me or represented what my family looks like around me and I grew up this way. Or, you know, I grew up in rural Illinois, right? And so there's just a sense of like, we're all just kind of like looking out and figuring out as we go. I think I've had over the last, not directly related to sex or to religion, but just the last years i would say comparing this point in my life to my 20s much more empathy towards myself than realizing that we're all trying to figure it out yeah yes i don't know things yes i'm making mistakes and i think we need to as a culture be that that empathy that sense of empathy should extend to people who are of goodwill and trying to learn, right? Like mm-hmm. you were saying about tra- transgender, for yeah. example. It being new to you, you're not really wanting to say something. Right, but like, I, you don't want to be the person. And I, everyone's like, I totally agree with you that there needs to be more information, empathy, understanding of all perspectives, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, I feel like we live in such a toxic culture right now where it's left against right. It's this versus that. This versus, And it's like, no matter what the issue is, people can't come together and talk about, cause like a lot of these things are very complicated issues like sexuality, gender, abortion, like politics, immigration, like all of these things are very complicated subjects. They're not yes, no tick off. You know, it's not like that kind of Scantron test. These are more like essay questions on a, on a you know, but I feel like we don't, when you look at the news when you look at the media, when you look at social media, that's not how these things are being addressed. What are you know, things? it's kind of like, um, which which team are you on? And then you're just kind of like, that's the that's it. Yeah. And then th- everything you say has to fit within that team. I think that's why I have a hard time identifying as either a Democrat or a Republican. I think I said this in one of the earlier podcasts that I'm actually uh, more torn between more libertarian or socialist. So there's things that I like about libertarianism. There's things that I like about socialism. And th- that's kind of more... For me, as opposed to Democrat or Republican, because I'm like, eh, libertarian socialism is kind of more like a philosophy about how do we approach issues and things, whereas Democrat Republican is kind of like, I guess you could just boil it down to liberal um, conservative, but 
there's so much more to it than just that. So it's there, like, yeah, and that's a whole different thing. And it's that yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely not um, a libertarian, definitely yeah. not a Republican. And I think there's so much of just like, even those words, right? Like conservative, what's a conservative and Midwestern. And I always say like, one of the reasons that Midwest gives us so many wonderful politicians is because like this sense of just like down home and Western values of just being good to people and being nice to people, which you can call a conservative value. And that can be very democratic. That can be a lot of things, right? Of just like treat people the way that you're getting back to religion, treat people the way yeah, that you want to be treated kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. That kind of stuff. So it's like, I don't know. I love Trevor Noah for so many reasons. I love looking at him. I love listening to his show. I think he's funny. I love his dimples. I love everything about it. I just love Trevor Noah. And to this idea of like all of us trying to figure stuff out and um, that sense of graciousness and empathy as some of us go, go through the journey that's needed to figure out what we need to figure out about any particular topic. He yeah. says the greatest things about just kind of like where we are as a culture and what space we do or don't have for that and kind of how we need to really be thinking of what that would look like to be more empathetic to that. And on the other side, it's also got to be frustrating if something that is your truth, right, that you just know to be true, um, and someone's like, I just, I, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't know. It's got to be frustrating as hell. It's like, it's not that complicated. And I think those of us who have left religion or those of us who... Um, identify as non-evangelical or whatever, whatever, whatever transition we've made have been on the receiving end of that where people are like, what do you mean? And you're like, it's not that hard. I just feel, I think differently than you do. Right. That's, that's it. That's it. That's all I'm saying. I feel differently than you do about this. And it can be very challenging when it comes to uh, that and religion when you talk about different topics. Yeah, I think, because um, I interact a lot with the whole range of hardcore atheists people who are just kind of like agnostic and then people who are still super Christian and also Muslims and people comment on social media, the stuff that I post. And you know, the thing is, is like, I, I make jokes, but I'm like a, a jokey kind of guy. Like I, I love humor. I, I I'll take humor to any situation, right? Like I, one of the ways I phrase it is that I don't really hold anything sacred. So nothing's really off limits to me in terms of making a joke about it. I might not, given the, the climate that we live in, I might not feel safe, comfortable, like for my own safety to make jokes about things. But if somebody else makes a joke about it, I will probably enjoy and appreciate that comedian mm. or whatever. But in general, I try to represent Confuciani with some modicum of respect for all belief systems. Um, and you saw like the, the animation I showed you earlier, like yeah. I, I understand that people believe certain things that might seem completely ludicrous and crazy to me. And Flat I, earthers, like that seems ludicrous and sure. crazy to but me. Like, but like, I, I also know no matter what I say, I am probably not going to convince them of anything. And at the end of the day, we're still human beings coexisting on this planet. You know, we're, you know, so and I... It's a it's a tricky balance, right? Because I'm like I I want to get through to people. I want us to all kind of get on the same page of like golden rule and mutual respect for all Absolutely. and individuality and personal freedom and like I, I'm all for those. Those are my tenets. They're not necessarily the tenets of everybody, and I have to just take a step back and accept that. Which or do is, we though? You know, like to some degree. I mean, we're not ever all across the world all going to get on the same page of kumbaya. You know. But I don't. We can do our part. Yeah. I don't mean it. I don't mean to say that in a fatalistic way. Yeah, but... I was going to say sometimes, I, and I am an optimist at my core. So I do think sometimes that like 
There are, I do truly believe that even amidst disagreement or people having different ways of viewing things, as we all can and should, that we can have some certain fundamental things that we hold on to, right? So like murder, for example, uh, we can come to the table and say, murder is not a good thing, right? And so it's like kinds of things that we but can But even say, that though, that gets fuzzy because then there's like, well, what about capital punishment? And then there's half the people on this side, there's half the people on the other side. Or then there's like abortion, because some people look at that as murder and other people don't. So that this is all I'm saying is that it's hard to agree upon certain base standards, even for something that we might think is obvious as murder. So this is when it's important to, and that's what I mean, it's like I think we, we get there. And so I think we do get there, where we find things that we can come to the table and say, all right, we can we can agree on this, right? Um, and then I think some of that nuance behind that, like you're like, well, murder, it could be this or whatever. I think one, the importance of like science and facts and things like that. I hold those tenets to be very much so, like very much a believer in evidence base and things uh-huh. like that. And so then I think that like, if we talk about something like capital punishment, right? Um, if the point of it, it is, so if people who support capital punishment the point of it is to get off on the idea of killing that person, right? Like if they were to say, "That's I want to see that person be well." Just yeah, killed. people view it as justice or revenge, or but those two get conflated. And you this know. is what I mean, right? So then it's like if we tease out, and that's the thing: humans can be so incredibly wonderful at lying to ourselves, right? Like if you're really like, "What's what's really the point of that?" Right? Yeah. If the point well, is because human beings are such emotional creatures, we're not creatures of logic and rationality. Oh, totally. I actually uh, highly recommend, if you've not read it, um, what the fuck's that guy's name? There is an economist out of the UC system, so West Coast, and he says, towards a theory of stupidity or something. And he breaks down like how many stupid people are in the world. And not stupid in the sense of, they don't agree with me, so I'm just going to call them stupid. <laughs> but really, like he has it in quadrants, where he's like, people who do things that are good for themselves... Like, if I do something that's really good for me, but not good for you, I'm a bandit, right? If I do something that's... You're a what? Bandit. Like, I'm literally... Oh. Like, I'm out for myself. If I do something that's just good for me, and it's bad for you, or whatever, I'm just trying to get it for myself. You're like and a selfish person. Selfish, mm-hmm. right? And then if I do something that's only good for you, to the detriment of me, mm-hmm. kind of a hopeless... Pre- like, I'm not really kind of, like, doing this, right? And then if I do something that's good for you, and it's good for me. Mm-hmm. He defines it as being much, that's smart, that's good, that's what we want, right? right? And then he says, the stupid people do things that aren't good for you, <laughs> and it's not good for themselves. Yeah. So I think if we start really thinking about, okay, so like any topic, right? So if we approach it with an evidence-based, scientific fact, all of these kinds of things, and really get beyond the like, what not that just kind of spit out talking points, but what's really going on there? What are we trying to do, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Because, like, say a topic like abortion, which can be um, politicized in a way that I don't believe it should be. Because as evidence-based, sexual reproductive health and rights person, um, my view on that, that is abortion, which is literally, and this is what I mean about that reproductive health thing, right? It is the termination of a pregnancy. And I think if you ask most people in this country what is abortion, they don't understand even really what it actually is. And so, like, let's actually, let's slow that down and take that bit by bit. So, like, what is a pregnancy first, right? Because if there is something to abort, you have to have a pregnancy. And so then if we slow that down and say, okay, so what is a pregnancy, right? 
And so like all the different variables that can go into that. So typically you've got, and leave in vitro all that other stuff apart, but literally two people together. So you've got sperm and you've got eggs. So multiple sperm, you can have one egg that splits, that's uh, identical twin. You can have two eggs, so that's fraternal. You have one egg and sperm, like all these different things, even how they even unite. Like there's all these different variables there. And then once that egg, once that unites, right, that has to implant itself somewhere. It doesn't just like, it's not like it's orbiting like Jupiter, right, or something like that. That needs to now implant itself somewhere in your body. And then where that implants. You're talking about the, the zygote? Exactly. Yeah. So like where this actually, and so your pre-pregnancy of where you, where that implants itself in your body, it can implant itself in the uterine wall. It can implant itself in the fallopian tubes. It could not implant at all. I mean, there are all these different variables even then, right? And so then, now you the further along you get along in this kind of leading up to pregnancy, so you're not even there yet. Um, so all those kinds of things. So if that implants itself in your fallopian tubes, you're never going to have a viable pregnancy. Like, you're not going to. That needs to be terminated. And that process by which you terminate that is an abortion. But people don't think, like, they literally just say, I'm going to get abortion. Do you know what abortion is? And usually when you slow it down, people don't, right? So then even once you have, say you do sperm and egg unite, plants itself in the uterine wall. So it's a plant in a place where it's good. It's The cells are multiplying in a way that it can gel into something that may one day become, you know, a pregnancy that turns into a baby. But it is, a, because that doesn't even always happen. Sometimes cells multiply in a weird way that's not even in a, ever going to result in a viable pregnancy. That needs to be terminated. That's also an abortion. Um, so say it does, right? So say you get all excited, so you're like, all right, so we're past that first trimester, so I can actually tell people I'm pregnant, right? And that's why people, women, people who can get pregnant, which includes transgender people and women, and others, like, people who can't get pregnant usually wait till after that first trimester, because so many things can go wrong, right? So then you get past that first trimester, and you're so happy, and you go in for your next appointment, and there's no heartbeat, right? And so now it's like, okay, so now there's no, uh, and even heartbeat, using that word, there's no act cardiac activity, right? And so now that's not a viable pregnancy. Maybe it was at one point, but it's not now. You can't just leave that in the body. <laughs> that's not how that works. You gotta evacuate and terminate that. And that also is <laughs> called abortion. And so I think when people start talking about criminalizing abortion and abortion is murder and women need to do this, you're talking about throwing all of those people who are experiencing any of those different things in jail or saying mm -hmm. that they're doing all of these things. Like, and so, I think it's so what you're describing are all these cases. That I wasn't familiar with a lot of that. So, Most people aren't. Right. So it's not so, like, yeah. So you're describing a lot of pregnancies that weren't going to result in a, in a child anyways, right? Like they were, there was something flawed in the, the way it didn't have some place to plant and that needs to be removed. And that's technically an abortion. That is an abortion. Right? Yeah. So what are the percentages of how often that happens versus an abortion by choice, which is what we, what everybody usually talks about. That's the, the debate. The dialogue is women choosing to have yeah. an abortion because they don't want to have the baby. Yeah. And they so, can totally have the, the people what are the who are numbers pregnant. on that? Well, like so the, that's the thing. I, and I should probably make sure to get this to you. So by the time this goes live, you can have that. This idea that people who can get pregnant, terminate pregnancies in the eighth month is ludicrous, really. Like, we actually have the numbers to say, and that's why I don't want to say it exactly now, but and then, but I will get it to you so that you can post cool. the specific percentage. But most terminations occur 
within that first trimester or so. And I can tell you exactly the percentage of that. And I don't want to misspeak, which is why I was like, let me get you actual numbers so yeah. that you can actually post them. And so it's like most, excuse me, are within that first trimester. It's not like someone gets pregnant and then like six months down the road, it's like, yeah, change my mind. mind. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. And so that's this idea of that. It's like people who... So I think that there's there's so much. We could literally have an entire episode just about <laughs> pregnancy, right? right? Because even then, it's like if you are against sex education in schools, if you're against providing contraception as part of your medical health care and or free comments, if you condoms, you're against all of that stuff. And then a 16 year old kid gets pregnant. Like, how have we as a society failed that teen? Right? Mm. Like, how have we collectively? not put them in a path to ensure that if they don't want to get pregnant, they have all of the access to education, resources, and tools that they need to not become pregnant. So we strip them of all of that, and if they become pregnant, and we're like, and you shouldn't be able to terminate. Yeah. Like, we're not really setting people up for right. success when we do that. Like, And a lot of the people who speak so negative, politicians in particular, and I'm thinking of a few, um, speak so negatively about abortion are also very anti-sex education. And right. I feel like that's just... It's yeah. just like the abstinence is the answer. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's just, it's insane. And that ties right in right in line with this podcast, with this sense of confusionity, because that's a play as I take on Christianity. So we're talking mostly about Christianity, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of things about what we're taught when we grow up Christian about sex and if we can have it and about pregnancy and terminating abortion and who we're able to have sex with and all of these kinds of things. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was, cause you work mostly with adults, right? For like sex education for adults. Yeah. So our company, kids, right? Yeah. So what our company does is we have, we have two sides of it, right? So we spread the joy of entertainment and media arts to the masses to create a better world. So when it comes to me personally, I'm writing, teaching, speaking, all of these things to adults and sometimes high school students, like that's usually the youngest that I'll go because I feel like it's just like a junior high teacher. Someone who teaches junior high may not want to teach kindergarten or a kindergarten teacher may not want to teach junior high. I feel like I am at my best as an educator when I'm doing high school forward and mostly adults is what I work with. So that's when it's my stuff. So the company produces all of those efforts. Separate and apart from that, we also... I have a ton of causes that I'm very passionate about and I love in addition to sexual reproductive health and rights. So we do digital marketing and marketing communications, which is my background, um, for those kinds of causes. So we have clients that work in everything from immigrant rights to uh, policing issues, racial justice, climate science, like all of these kinds of things. Okay. Because uh, one of my questions is uh, something... It's it's funny because a lot of this stuff that we, we talk about or that I see in the news or that's in the, the public discourse is things that don't actually apply to me so i i can very easily just opt out of all of these debates because they don't really personally affect me i don't but i don't i mean i don't opt out i kind of do get semi-involved but um i mean just the fact that i'm having a podcast and bringing these issues to light exactly um but i i guess that's in in one way why i can get kind of involved in these issues in a very unemotional kind of just very like logical way because I'm just kind of like I want to know facts and information Mm -hmm. I want to see multiple perspectives and kind of weigh you know and understand again kind of going back to my alien way right I just want to understand so when I think about sex education for kids right I wonder 
what's the right way to do that and what's like the right timeline to kind of start educating kids about sex and stuff because like you know you and i like our generation we i don't know about Europe, but for me the only thing i remember about sex ed as a kid growing up was literally like one meeting with like the vice principal came in Mm -hmm. and like we watched a film strip or something (laughs) and it was like you're gonna start getting armpit hair and you know you should scrub there and scrub there and these are sexually transmitted diseases and you'll start to get hormones and you'll feel you know sexual arousal and these are the things that are going to start happening to your body um and then they like showed us all these scary uh, STD yeah. Yeah. images. It's advanced stage, and it, and you it feel like, totally yeah. turned me off to sex. So right. I guess they succeeded <laughs> in what they were looking to accomplish. Because I was like, because like I was already kind of a germaphobe. I was always a germaphobe, but that was just like, oh my god, I don't want like warts yeah. and all this crap. They totally. So oh so that god. was that was that was pretty much it. That's all I remember. Yeah. It was literally like one session. Yeah, we had and one. I don't even remember if it grade. was fifth grade or fourth grade or yeah. I don't remember. But I don't know what the right because here's the thing. There is <laughs> there's the science and the information and the statistics and the facts and all that stuff, which I think is pretty much fine to teach kids about that stuff. The question is what age and whatever that there's you know, some people might feel more comfortable with their kids later learning about that than sooner it's debatable whatever but the tricky part for me comes in and is when there's more like value judgments placed on like more lifestyle morality kind of things right where it's less about facts and numbers and it's more about people are just genuinely going to believe differently about you know i'll I'll give you an example of like the school board okay the school board might kind of agree or like a panel expert say, oh, we should, you know, teach them about transgender at age four or five or whatever. Meanwhile, a Christian family might come along and say, well, that goes against what I'm raising my kids' values with. I don't want my kid to participate in that, what you're calling sex ed, right? So this is where things get hairy, where it's not just informing them about the bare bones this is what puberty is kind of things or or like this is what safe sex would be you know so there's a couple things so one is like when is it safely appropriate to introduce these things and the other is like where do we put the limits on how much is taught in school versus how much is left up to parents so yeah. what do you think about all, I know it's yeah. got a lot of... Oh, I, lo- I love yeah. that. I, we could literally sit here and talk for 10 hours because mm-hmm. every single time I'm like, oh, I should have said that. I should have mentioned that or whatever. So exciting. Okay. Okay. Ready. All right. So what age? Five. You should start talking to your child about sex education as early at the latest, I should say, five years old. You should really start then. And when we say age appropriate sex education, we mean things like the example I always give, by the time a child is five, they know this body part that I'm pointing to is an elbow, right? Like most five-year-olds know that this is an elbow Mm -hmm. and it's okay to say that it is an elbow, right? That's a body part. But when it comes to sexual reproductive health and rights and basic anatomy and physiology, we start introducing shame because we won't even call body parts by their actual name. So we say down there, you know, your pee pee. Mm. We use different languages or whatever. So we're already starting if we don't start educating them. And that is basic biology education about what body parts are. Keeping so, that, that ed- so that makes sense. Yeah. That, that, that falls in the information phase yeah. where it's like, yeah, if, you, if, a five, if 
I'm glad you explained that because I kind of I was going to ask my follow up question was well how did you determine age five? Mm -hmm. So that's a good explanation in terms of well like when you're five years old you know what your you elbow know your is exactly you know your knees are. You should probably know this is exactly. called a penis. Exactly. This is called a it's vagina. Not your PP. It's right. Your, exactly. This is your vulva. Exactly. Right. Yes. So that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so would it be kind of a, a gradated educational yeah. thing? So maybe at age five, you just tell them like the yeah. names of the, the anatomy. It's basically anatomy an anatomy physiology. lesson. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. And so it's, um, I was going to say something. It was something you were saying. Elbow, body part, I forget what I say about that. But five, oh, that's what I want to say. I want to make sure they say. The other thing is that you also help keep the children safe. When you help them talk about what body parts are, why we cover some and not others. Like I know, and you see my elbows right here. You don't see other parts of my body. Like when we have conversations like that at an age-appropriate way with children, it helps them understand bodily autonomy better. It helps them understand that we do and don't let people touch us in different parts. Like that keeps kids safe. We want to be giving sex education yeah. starting at very young ages of that. So big especially fan of if that. those kids are going to the, a Catholic church. You are such a <laughs> jerk. Their children. Uh, uh, sorry, they're so bad. Low hanging fruit. It's, yeah, that's horrible. Because <laughs> and I feel bad for the Catholic Church in some ways because it's like, the, it's not that they have a corner in the market of assaulting people. There are people who grew up Christian who are sexually assaulted. Yeah, yeah. There, and Catholics are Christian, but when you grow up evangelical, we're taught that there's something else. Exactly. Right, right, right. We're taught that there's something else. There are Christians, yeah. and then there are Catholics, right? Which is not true, but that's what we're taught. That's what I was taught as an evangelical, right? Um, I guess the big difference there is that with Catholicism, they're not allowed to marry the priests and the nuns, whereas with yeah. Protestantism, you can totally your minister like, can marry yeah. and things like that. But yeah, but we're all still Christians, you know, and those Protestants and Catholics are Christian. But uh, so, but back to sex ed thing, keeping kids safe, right? So it's yeah. helpful for that. And then that's as far a good, as that's a good point. Yeah, no worries. And then so when you think of okay, so like okay, if we say that that's the kind of stuff we need to be saying at five, then what at ten? What at fifteen? Like how do we know all these things? A consortium of people got together and decided it's really good to actually figure that out. You know, just like we know, like we're not teaching five-year-old algebra. Like we have a sense of like what do we teach when. We right. should have that for sex education. So there is the national standards. There's literally a document that says by grade, by age, this is what they should be able to know on the various different things. So when it comes to gender, here's what we want them to know at which age and what's appropriate. When it comes to biology, right, here's what we want them to know at what age and what's appropriate. And it goes through there. And so that's super helpful and it's a great guide and I stand behind it. Um, I like everything it's evolving and developing, but I think it does a very good job of setting this boilerplate of like when it comes to educating American kids and anyone living in the United States about um, and participating in the American education system about sex ed, what are the markers? What are those milestones? And so mm -hmm. I think they did a really good job. I think um, CECAS, which is kind of the international, I forget what CECAS stands for. It's kind of like, everyone's going to acronyms that I'm forgetting what the long thing stands for, like PAI, I don't remember what it was. But I think it was like population action something or whatever. But everybody just uses acronyms. So CECAS is an acronym. But I will send that to you too. Okay. Um, but it was a consortium of people who came together with these standards. And so they've got that. So you can link that, which will be great. Uh, so that's the first thing about age. And then values, right? Okay, so we're already doing that. So we're not introducing something that's new that children don't have access to. And so by the time a child is five, they have a sense of what a man is, like just from the biological and value-based frame and all these things, they already have ideas about that. 
and same for women, right? Like, and a lot of that when it comes to genders is value-based. Like, what have we taught a five-year-old about, like, what a man's role is, what a dad's role is, what a mom's role is, what all, like, they're already getting a lot of this information already, right? And so if we start thinking... Just from observing their parents and we're watching teaching, TV yeah, and... We're all around, exactly, mm -hmm. right? And so we're actually, like, socializing children to believe certain things already. So it's not like culture is neutral, Right. And then we're introducing different things. Culture is anything but neutral. Right. And so it's like children are already getting access to a lot of this. And so giving them the language, understanding the structured formal education of what are these things is very helpful for them. And I think this ties into a larger conversation about when we think of education, like my degrees are in sociology, the social sciences. Right. And so when we think of like, what is the value of having a social science degree or humanities degree or studying the arts? People who will say, well, oh, get out of all of that, just math and whatever. It's like, there's so much of like the way in which we teach different things reinforces what we call the, the fact-based stuff, right? Because if it's evidence-based, it all should be based on facts. So things like learning languages, they know that people who learn language, that same portion of your brain that like these words work that way and here's how we do that is that same pathway in the way in which we do math, right? Like you can see two plus two and we understand that that's the same thing as four. Just like we hear bonjour and we understand that's the same thing as hello. So like when we think of like education as being value-based, the two things I would say is one, it's all values, right? Even the fact that we're teaching that the earth's not flat, like that's a science-based thing. And to say that we should teach that is to value the sciences, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, that's the first thing. And then the other thing is that uh, values in themselves are not neutral, right? That all of these kinds of things that we're teaching are part of um, a sense of culture in itself is not neutral and it's not an additive. It's that stuff's already there. And so we're teaching a structured way of reviewing it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, this is one of those things where it's such a hypothetical for me because I'm not going to get married and have kids most likely. So I'm just interested to know what's happening you know, in our society and how kids are being raised. And But I think it affects all of us, right? Like, it is. I mean, it is yeah. going to affect me in the sense of how kids are raised or they're going to be part of the same society that I'm living in. It affects yeah. me in that way. Yeah. It just doesn't affect me in like a, how are my kids going to be raised? Because it couldn't be any more personal than that. That's why I'm like not necessarily super passionate about it because I bet you if I had my own kids, I'd be You'd way more passionate yeah, yeah. about it. And way more knowing what are they teaching in the schools. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, it's interesting. And, and I can admit when I have grown, and I think that we all should, and this, we talked about this a little bit offline about the sense of someone says something or does something. I was like, crucify them. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, I have lived on this earth more than a day. And I think anybody who has should grow from day one to day two to day three and keep going. Muhammad Ali, beautiful quote, the person who sees the world, paraphrasing, the person who still sees the world at 20 as they did at 50, it's wasted 20 years of their life. Like you should grow, you should change, yeah. you should evolve. And I remember once I wrote a piece, cause I write for different outlets and this is for Huffington Post. And I was writing about censorship because I went to a library and I went to, I write about sex and relationships and dating and things like that. And I don't even write about erotica, which I love erotica and I think it's fine. People should write about it and things like that. But what I'm writing is not erotic, it's not porn, it's literally sex education. It's about sex politics in the United States. So I go into this library, I roll up, 
open my laptop, getting ready to talk, and it's like, your site's blocked, you can't go there, it's, you know, pornograph, and, you know, we block porn, we block this, we block all these other things, things that incite yeah. violence. I was like, what, why am I being blocked? What the hell is this? See, but this is why I hate censorship, though, is because it's the line gets muddied. And to me, the interesting thing to me about this is you think the liberal, you know, no religion, kind of anything goes, all sexuality on the left. And then the right is the conservative religious kind of, typically that's how we've all thought about it. The strange thing that I'm experiencing these days is actually the left is acting in ways that I feel like the right traditionally has acted in. Because the right would want to censor things by saying that pornography is from Satan and we can't have anybody watching that. That's demonic. That's And that's their reasoning. But now it's like there's this hypersensitivity on the left also about things like, uh, why are we not, like, why are channels being demonetized and on YouTube and all these platforms and people getting deplatformed for being inappropriate to talk about sexuality and gender? Because people are going to have different experiences to share and different perspectives. To me, that's adults communicating and conversing. There shouldn't be any censorship of any of these views, I feel like. I, well, Unless somebody is doing things that are already illegal, which is you should go ahead and kill those people because that's illegal. You're not allowed to incite violence from speech. But other than that, people should be free to speak and present ideas. And so I feel like if you're getting censored for your stuff, which you think is totally fine, that's messed up. But so, like that line is, it keeps moving. You know, like us talking about this right now, there may come a point like three months from now where this is not allowed on YouTube anymore. That's, that's so, what terrifies me is that we're heading in that direction I don't know. The, Which is... so, it's, so I have several, so many thoughts on that. Uh, so many thoughts on that. One, I am for... So censorship is not the same thing as having a set of community values of what you want to do, what you want to say, things like that. So like, for example, if someone comes to... If I'm seeing... This, we could have a whole entire thing about this too, but keeping it very simple, right? So if someone says something to me because... Think of in terms of healthy relationships, sexual stuff, and all that stuff. And says something really just like fucked up to me or whatever. It's not like I'm like, well, free speech. They can say whatever they want, and I'm okay with it or whatever, and that's fine. And so if I'm dating someone, there is healthy interactions and unhealthy. And then there's beyond unhealthy, abusive. Well, well yeah, if so you're I talking about... That, like, everybody no, should no, no, no. Like, yeah. well, well, there's a difference. Like, if you're, if you're dating somebody and you don't like what they're saying, then you probably shouldn't be dating that person. That's well, your personal. Well, here's the you thing, want to though. date somebody you're compatible with, well, but here, those ideas are out there. That's a different thing. Like those are just. Well, here, see, that's the whole thing, though. Like, when we talk about healthy relationships and like uh, education, right? And this is the adult sex ed and adult healthy relationships. You're training. talking about dating relationships. You're mm-hmm. talking about exactly or marriage or any kind of right. you know partnering mm-hmm. and things like that. There will come times where someone says something that you don't like, mm-hmm. or you disagree with, or they hurt your feelings. They didn't mean to, but you know. And so one of the things we teach in healthy relationships too is being able to tease out the difference between like someone said or done something shitty, right? And it's hurtful, right? And what happens with that? So one of the examples people give is like that oops, ouch, right? And so we're more familiar with and more used to talking about abuse in the sense of physical stuff, right? Instead of emotional. Like most people understand. If you punch someone in the face, that is bad. But if your girlfriend says this about you, then we're like, oh, all of a sudden we don't know how to code, you know, like for emotional abuse of stuff. So like one of the examples we give in trainings, it's like using the oops and ouch. Not that you have to say these words out loud, but thinking of the sense of like somebody steps in your toe. 
You say, ouch, like, whoa, so you <laughs> you call out, like, well, wait a minute, you know? And if the person is just like, all right, and they stomp again, it's like, okay, this is a problem, right? But if they stomp and you're like, ouch, you're like, oh, shit, like, I'm so, oops, like, this sense of, like, you hmm. want so to be So to carry there. that physical uh, into reaction emotional. into, like, like, conversational and emotional. So somebody says something and you're like, you know, when you said, well, all you do is lay around the house anyway. It made me feel like you were telling me that, you know, you want me to do, I don't know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. You don't like it that we don't leave the house before 10 a.m. on Saturday. And you want to be out before 10 a.m. And it made me feel like you're judging me because I'm not out of the house by 10 a.m. I could see why that would be good for a relationship because it's basically just calmly and rationally talking about what's really going on. Yeah, what's really going on. And a lot of people date and they they withhold um, their truth. I, I know this personally as a guy, and I'm sure a lot of other guys feel the same way I do when I say this, is that we won't say things to women because we just don't want it to erupt into a fight. We will harbor this truth, and it's something that bothers us for a long period of time. We may bring it up later, or we may never bring it up. We may just swallow it and just be like, I guess that's just the way she is, or that's the way it has to be. I'm not saying that's a good thing. In fact... Women do it too. I, yeah, yeah so, so people do that. Like, right. yeah, it's so a matter of like, yeah. It is what it is, and... Um, recently like I got out of this relationship and now I'm kind of thinking more first of all I'm thinking about like I don't even think I want to be in relationships anymore that's that's another thing but second of all if I am going to be in a relationship I would rather be very not blunt I could say blunt but I want to be completely honest at every moment of the way and kind of like what you're talking about is just like hey look I don't like the way this is going I, I that those things that you've been saying to me that makes me feel like shit and I'm not cool with that and we either address it and deal with it, or we go our own ways. But like that shit needs to come forth. Absolutely. So like I'm, I'm yeah. yeah. And so I think when I think of the thing, so saying about like, so I'm not for everybody should say it. It's like taking that micro level of like between people, and take it to a macro, like in workplaces or just kind of people going about themselves. And there are things that should fly and shouldn't fly, and I think that's fine. And so what I was thinking about is like at the, in the library, and I couldn't get to myself. I was like, oh my gosh, I was like. This is ridiculous. And so it's like, okay, so if I printed all these pages and I put it in a book, we understand that books shouldn't be burned, but because it's on the line... You're doing the digital be... equivalent of book burning. And, then, and this is where I was like, ah, oh, so I was like, ah, oh, this sucks, blah, blah, blah. And so I wrote a piece about it and I was like, you know what? I was like, and I'm not someone who's like hypersensitive and I didn't use that word because I'm like a word, but I was like, but the tone of what I wrote was like... I'm not even someone who's like normally even concerned about censorship. Like this is an, I'm not saying this someone who's like whatever. And I was like, but this is kind of messed up because when I started looking into it, I noticed uh, these spam filters, these like sense, these um, content monitor, whatever they call these things. But they'll also trap like breast health sites or breast cancer. Like they just they're grabbing words, and so they're like these are in that yeah. corner of these naughty, dirty. This is words. why I'm not a fan of algorithms and all these kind of things Which because they yeah. like I get. I Tumblr recently changed their policies, and they started flagging everything as adult. Yep, yep. And I have drawings I did that are just like an expressionist of a female figure, and it's like scribbly and like kind of it's a cool drawing. But I'm like, I probably use a hashtag like woman, right? Or like you know, female body. Yeah. The shit gets flagged and taken down. I'm like, you know, it's it's it's, it's, the problem for me is it's lazy on the the gatekeepers part to just let an algorithm. And they err on the side of, well, we'd rather censor things than not censor things. And that's the choices that are being made. 
by all these social media companies, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr. I don't even know if it's all, I don't even, because censorship is its own separate thing. I think part of it is, and so like when I was saying, all of this stuff affects us, even if we think, oh, well, this doesn't. And so I think people kind of came and said stuff about when I was like, oh, I'm not even usually concerned about censorship. And so they were saying things like, well, some of us have been concerned about this all along. Like, this is not brand new and all these things. And I was like, oh, yeah. And so I started thinking about, yeah, I've been like, worried about censorship for a while, yeah. The thing and that so, disturbs me is all of this, it's not being done under the name of religion, but it seems so puritanical to me. You and know? I think this goes back to this, like, when, and this is why I was like, when you're like, I don't have kids. I was like, but part of it is this stuff, because I don't want to have kids, so I hopefully will never have kids, right? And so it's like, and I think, though, like, for me, I'm so invested in even, and I don't even like teaching little kids, right? I'm so vested in the, that we get this kind of sex education early on because what we end up seeing is these kinds of things, like just algorithms that are saying that certain words are just naughty just because it has to do with like reproductive organs or body parts that, you know, that in and of itself is naughty. So we've got to say we can't have that. Um, people not really under even standing, like stuff like sex work, for example, like what that even is, like seeing it is like, okay, so we don't want to support that instead of saying these are people who are workers, right? And so we have to think, what is sex work? Are, you, are we talking about prostitution and pornography? Or like, because I've seen people in the porn industry, they refer to themselves as sex workers. They do. Mm -hmm. So there's that plus prostitutes. So the people, people will use the word sex work to talk about work that is done um, to re that relates to sex, right? And so if people someone is a pornographer... Sex. They could call themselves a sex worker. Right. They're making money off of the industry that is sex, right. sex industry, and things like that. And so, yeah. So those are the kinds of things. But so much. I feel like we were covering so much ground. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and again, because it's like you'll say something. I'm like, ooh, and there are a million hooks on it because you were saying too about the left and the right and conservative and what's liberal yeah, and things like that. Yeah, I was. I, I don't uh, know that I agree that like it's even like well, left or because I think sexual behaviors and sexual patterns what's considered acceptable like whether someone who grows up evangelical christian and well is gay i, I heard on a, i heard in a video the other day that there's things going on in canada that are disturbing to me that even more than here but one oh, of the gosh, things what? was like they're starting to crack down on sexual practices in canada like for example some people might be into snm and then they're starting to say you can't do choking you can't do rough sex you can't do when we reach that point where the government is coming in and interceding and making laws about what you can and cannot do in the bedroom, well, like that's, but well, here we go. Right. So the thing is like, see, I'm all about, this is where I'm kind of libertarian. I'm all about personal freedom. I don't care whether you're gay, whether you're transgender, whether you're straight, male, female, whatever. If you're an adult and you're with another consenting adult, you should be able to do whatever you want to do sexually with each other okay. in your own private space. So here we go. Here we go. In Germany, and this actually happened, there was a case where a guy is like, uh, and I don't remember who placed the ad where it was the person who wanted to be eaten or the person who wanted to <laughs> eat somebody, but like, yeah, right? And so the guy basically ate another, per like, you know. So murder? A I'm sexual practice. He wanted, so this is, the, this was the argument. Oh my God, I feel like all of these things we need to get. So what happened in Germany was there was this dude who wanted to be eaten. So they basically, the German dude, they were saying, hey, you <laughs> can't eat insane, people. This is insane, though. This I mean, is what I mean. When we, when we not, cross the know. line over into murder, though, then, then we're not talking about sex anymore. We're talking about murder. Um, 
Yeah, and so, but when you say consenting adults should be able to do whatever they want, so that was his argument. That's why I thought about this. Was yeah, victim of cannibal agreed to be eaten, and so this is what I mean. So how often does this happen though? Okay. This is like the one freak story in a billion. It is not people. the one freak story. Okay. We could take. So here's the thing though. If you talk about BDSM and you're like, well, Canada, the government's coming into bedroom. Government's there's a, there's bedroom. a lot of men and women who love it. Okay, so here like we go. they love to spank each other and dress up in leather yeah. and. Do okay. all kinds of things to each but other. But breaking BDSM down of like, and that's kind of like the pregnancy thing. It's like, whoa, but if we slow that down, I kind of say, what is BDSM, right? And so like, there are so many different sexual activities that can fall under there, right? So like autoerotic asphyxiation. So mm-hmm. like more of like choking sex or things like that. Or if like spanking, you're saying like petting or things like that. Or handcuffs, you know? Or say you do a BDSM scene or whatever, where this person has you kind of locked away in this place, or whatever. There are all these different things that you can do. And so I think a lot of people in the U.S. don't realize a lot of things that fall under BDSM are technically criminal acts. Like assault is still assault. Like if you hit someone, that if you assault someone by hitting them, that's still, quote, assault. And I think what happens sometimes in... Divorce. Even if both people want it, though, like you can't, con- and that's why I brought up the German because that's such a clear case. You can't consent to have a crime committed against you. Yeah, but and this so is the thing happens- where, like, I've been with girls before where they wanted me to slap them, they wanted me to choke them, right? Right. And I'm like, it's it it puts me in a weird predicament because I'm like, I wouldn't personally have a problem. I mean, I would feel weird about it, but if, I mean, if she's into it, and if I'm into it, fine. But I I think about these things like law and like abuse and and all, I'm like, oh, I don't want to get in trouble over this shit. Then, but that's also me and my Christian background is like, I always feel like sinful and bad. And I'm like, I don't want to get in trouble. So there's always that voice inside my head. That's like, be a good person and like, don't hit other people and don't whatever, you know? But, so, but again, it's like my personal thing, but I still think about other people and I, and I, and I err on the side of consenting adults. I mean, we could, we could even take this far as euthanasia, right? Do people have the right to kill themselves to, if they really, I mean, abortion people always talk about a woman's choice to do whatever she wants with her own body what more of a choice do you have on your own body like if to take your own life at any point in your life right so euthanasia so before we jump to euthanasia yeah. <laughs> going back to something the reason i brought up consent bdsm and things you mentioned like canada is getting the government's getting to whatever and when i said bdsm like you, you can't commit to have a crime committed against you kind of thing not saying that bdsm is a crime what i'm saying is that like Say, and this happens, say you get an ugly divorce with someone, right? And then one of the things that happens, and there is a group that works with a lot of this, like kink-friendly divorce folks who hmm. help, like, yeah, because then it's what, what you're saying about, like, not having the government in your bedroom. The government is in our bedroom in a lot of ways, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I'm not of the feeling that, like... It was interesting. Tangent. It was, we're carrying so much territory. Right. I know. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So one of the things I thought was fascinating. So you know that I lived in Holland for years, right? Mm-hmm. In the U.S., I definitely, definitely consider my political views leftist, right? Leftist and progressive even, right? But then and compared to Holland, you're like When I went prude. to Holland and I would say, you know, and Dutch people consider me center, center, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the main markers of that was like, you still believe in organized government. Like you're not an anarchist. There's nothing that's super progressive or leftist. You're not, you're not very far left or whatever. Like you do believe in government. And Wait, that they do? Or they're saying I you do, do? They're saying I do. And they're like, you do believe in government and, and having government structure. And they thing. don't as much? 
the fact it's not that they don't as much it's that the fact that I do wouldn't put me in a far left or super progressive oh so their definition of far left would be almost kind of anarchist my roommate was anarchist and so she was like where it gets confusing though because what when you think of extreme left or extreme right in my head extreme left is a lot of government involvement whereas the far right is get rid of government altogether well, the far like right's just, not... Like just individual personal liberties. This is why I No don't... taxes, no government, right? This like, is why I like having The socialist value... is kind of the left kind of thing. If you take it extreme left, it's like socialist and then communist. And there is a, a grow growing communist movement in the, the younger generations now. I don't know that I would say communist. Like, I don't know. So, more socialism, democratic socialism. Yes, mm-hmm. I'd say that. I'd see that. I don't know that I'd say communism necessarily. Yeah, I mean, communism Which is kind is... of the, the purest, ultimate form of socialism. It's, if you look at it on a spectrum, basically like equal pay for all and no none of this capitalism stuff where you have people, the haves and have-nots. Communism is kind of like, it kind of blows it all out and, you know, equal, equal distribution, difference. equal... So... I'm just, this is just like theory. It doesn't theory, play yeah. out in that way. Yeah, like just like I wouldn't say that like, capitalism, the ultimate goal is libertarian. Like I think they're different political systems and one doesn't necessarily inherently lead to the next one. But I think that like one of the things why I like values kinds of conversations instead of like labels, because I don't know that people who would define themselves as like very, very right uh, want no government, right? Like I don't think they're against police. I don't think they're against right. having prisons. I don't think that they're against um, having sidewalks <laughs> or all of these things that the government, right. you know, brings or having, I don't know, healthy food that's not been tainted or right. drugs that have been cleared through the FDA. Like, I don't think anybody's actually, in the U.S. at least, when we talk about, like, political spectrum or whatever, for ditching the government altogether and the functions that the government uh, oversees, so... I don't know. But in Holland, there'd be more of a My roommate a was an anarchist. That... And because she was like, oh, but you know, you're center right. I'm like, I am not center right. And so it's like, it's so, and that's for me, it was that intro when I talk about we grow, we learn, we change. And that was my introduction to it. It's like these labels don't necessarily convey what values that person holds, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, my values didn't shift just because I moved to Holland. Right. Well, right. the words mean different things in different languages yeah. in different Contextual, countries. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, my values are. So. Like liberal right now. I don't even know what liberal means anymore. Or because conservative I, I, for that I might say I'm kind of liberal, but then I meet liberal liberals and then I'm like, well, we don't see eye to eye at all. Or even so. conservatives. Like what's considered service? Roy Moore, the alleged child, right. uh, is uh, reportedly a conservative. Right. Like, yeah. I didn't think that right. was a conservative value. Right. Like this is what I mean. Like, so I, let's literally talk about our values because it just kind yeah. of seems. Insane. I, mean, I can't believe he's back. Are you kidding me? Like, he's running again or something. I saw it. Like, yeah. That's the guy who lost to Dougie Jones, right? In Alabama, was it? Let me find this. Where was it? Way more. Only reason why I know Dougie Jones is because that was um, Kyle McLaughlin's character in Twin Peaks, season two. Yeah. Way more Doug Jones rematch. Alabama Republicans want more to run again. <sighs> See, now this bothers me, though. This is why I don't really get deeply, I don't want to say involved in politics, but the whole thing is just, it's so broken and dysfunctional, you know, because no matter where I see myself on the spectrum, and this is something on a, on a deeper, bigger level, I realize for myself, like, I'm not really even going to bother trying to fit into some camp because I finally accepted 
I don't belong in any, most people, and I get it, it's a survival mechanism for societies, human beings, like you have to belong to some kind of community. You have to be with people who are like, these are my peeps, you know? And for me, I've kind of just accepted the fact, like, fine, I'm an alien, fine, whatever. Like, I'm not really, like, even in the atheist community, I'll say things that bother them. Or, like, in the Christian, I'll upset them. And I'm kind of like, there might only be four people in the world who really, <laughs> like, you know, and I'm like, that's fine. Like, I'm very close with my sister, and, like, yeah. we, we see eye to eye on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, that's fine. Like, I, I realize, especially with my hearing loss, I'm way more a, a solitary person, and I'm fine with that. So I don't need to get on the same page as everybody else. Because when the Republican people are going out to vote for a Roy Moore child molest, I'm like, dude, come on. But that's one of the things that, I mean, like all these evangelicals supporting Trump, who was like the least evangelical of a guy. And I'm like, come on. It's so transparent. How can you not see what you're doing? Like you're just blind sheep voting and following for whoever the Republican puts on the ticket. Like they don't think anything... And um, Damien and I talked about this in uh, the podcast recent episode, how the scary thing is, is guys like Damien and I, we do a lot of thinking about our views and our beliefs and, you know, on different stance subjects. We do a lot of thinking about it. At the same time, we're not attached to what we believe about something today. So if I'm presented with new information or a new yeah. experience tomorrow, I will literally, it's not flip-flopping. No, it's, it's a sign of an intelligent yeah, person. Yeah, it's just like the, the Muhammad Ali quote exactly. you said. So it's yeah. like that. And despite how much we think so much about everything and we're willing to change our views, what happens with most people, they don't do much research or give much thought to what they believe and they tightly cling to it. Which know? isn't good for them or like, other people. Yeah. Which goes back to the Back to the stupid, stupid, stupid thing. Right. Exactly. exactly. It comes back to that. Oh my yeah. God. And it's scary because I feel like most people are, are like that. I mean, like even being an atheist versus an agnostic, I identify more as an agnostic because I'm like, look, there might be some higher power. There might be some I, God. I, I don't I know. I spiritual. I really do. Yeah, like totally I don't know. know. That's literally what an agnostic says is like, I don't know. You know, I would probably lean more based on my personal experiences and the way I think, see things play out in human society throughout history and politics is I look at religion as more of a control mechanism um, so and I think a lot of religion is just man-made. So I kind of, if it's a spectrum between atheism and Christian fundamentalism or whatever, I'm kind of on the agnostic in the middle, but a little bit more toward the atheist side. But I think I, um, what would I say? I'd say I identify definitely as spiritual. Like I think that religion can be, I, I, that's what I would say. I would say that I identify as spiritual. I believe That's religion. always one of those settings on the dating profiles. Spiritual, but not religious. Is it? Is yeah, it? Oh, there we go. That's okay. you. I would say, yeah, there we go. I, sh I will check that next time <laughs> I go on a dating app again. I would say spiritual, you know, and I would say very much an affinity for religious communities and religious folks, people who grew up religious like yourself. Like, one of it is just that familiarity of knowing, like when you say, like, so spoke to me so much in the podcast episode when you're talking about it's everything it's about what happens to you after you die while you're here yeah. it's who you socialize with like having grown up evangelical i was like yeah like you understand you understand like, he gets it he understands that so i will say that there's a sense of just like familiarity you know being around people who have grown up religious or had a similar upbringing much like i feel that way when i meet people who grew up in small towns right like the sense of like you get it i grew up in rural illinois too and like we were the city because we had malls like yeah exactly it's <laughs> <laughs> all of these things where it's like it just is i don't you know i just i think 
So on my way here, not at all related, but just like people can be kind and wonderful. So I was uh, riding up here, you know, and I was falling asleep because I was just tired of just rolling. You're rolling along the monotonous, just kind of chugging along, whatever. So I was dozing and I was listening to Chelsea Handler's books. I think she's a very funny comedian in a lot of ways. And so I was listening to her book on audiobooks, and I fell asleep. And my Kindle was on the little table, you know, the little trays that are in front mm -hmm. of you, whether you're on the trains, the bus, whatever, they usually have little decks. Yeah. So mine was on there, and because we were just kind of chickening along or whatever, I guess my Kindle had been slipping to the side, you know, like, and getting ready to fall, because I was, like, waking up, and the guy sitting next to me, it just, like, moved. So the whole entire time, it kept, like, sliding, and every now and then, he would just, yeah. so it wouldn't fall. I thought that was so sweet, and I yeah. think, like, we need to be more <clears throat> like that. Yeah. It doesn't hurt him if my Kindle breaks, but it's just kind right. of like, I think we need to generally just like look out for each other more and just be kinder to each other, I think. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. He, he, got, he got nothing for doing, you know, it doesn't help him. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Just a nice thing to do. Like, yeah. yeah. There's two things I have to say about that. One is I feel like something that's sort of so disgusting and vile about Christianity is that it assumes the default state of everybody is this wretched sinner worthy of burning hellfire, right? As opposed to what you're describing, it's like, eh, maybe most people are probably actually pretty decent people. Yeah. You know? I think there's... Like, are people more good than evil? I think that they're... I don't... I wouldn't say that the, the brand of Christianity that I grew up with was incredibly... Um, supportive in the sense of just like feeling like I'm not a bad person all these things you know like the fire and brimstone a lot of stuff that I grew up with I have to believe that there are people who do grow up with much more help like the church that I go to now Unitarian um, so not explicitly Christian church it's Unitarian church yeah, that, way more inclusive yeah you don't even have to be a believer of anything to mm -hmm. go like you, anybody can go it's literally united everybody can come kind of thing and so I think people who grew up Unitarian, like they have their own sex ed curriculum our whole lives. And it literally teaches you sex ed throughout your entire life. They have different lessons throughout it. Are you, so, so you're familiar with their lessons? Yeah, like, yeah. What is that like? Great. So I think, I mean, it's, there are tons of religious based, one, a great institute, a great organization. If you're interested in like sex ed with a religious tent, there's a group called the Religious Institute and they have an entire uh, bibliography of all the different sex ed curriculums that are religious based but not necessarily shame-based and then all of these things. It's like, it could be very much about like, yeah. I mean, I'm not interested in it for myself. I'm just yeah. curious because it's hard for me to imagine a positive uh, sexuality message education yeah. from the church that's not shame-based. Yeah, no, we have an entire, we bring in uh, speakers to come talk about uh, religion. So you go to a Unitarian like, church regularly I then? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm a member of a Unitarian church in Washington, D.C. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think I, I'm, I'll look up a Unitarian church in Philly and just go out of curiosity just to check it out to see what it's all about. One of the things that I found very welcome in it, like you were saying, that feeling of like, I don't really fit in any of these camps. I didn't really feel like I fit. So I've gone to Baptist, Church of Christ, Presbyterian, like all these different churches that I would go to. And it wasn't until I started going to Unitarian where I was like, okay, I feel comfortable here. There's not really mention of like God because the, not everybody sitting there is Christian or even religious and things like that. And so like there'll be conversations about like what does like hope mean? Like literally in some of the texts might be by political thinkers. 
Um, it may be by historical figures, maybe it could be a poem, it could be anything. And just kind of talking about like, as we come together in this space, and that's part of the Illinois saying, I have such an affinity for religious people. Like I feel very much comforted sitting in a big room with a lot of people. I don't need to know these people, right? So it's still like a typical church though, in terms of, um, does it break off into little discussion groups or is it more like just a preacher guy? Yeah, he's not a preacher. I don't think he even uses this title, but it's usually whoever's the head of the church um, is up and giving kind of a lesson. And then there will be guest speakers who will come and give it. When I went to, um, I went to Dutch Reformed Church was in New York too. So I've gone to all of the different ones. And Unitarian definitely feels much more at home for me because it's people got up and talk whatever. I've heard ones about faith, about anxiety. What do we do with anxiety? Where does it come from? How do we have more of a healthy living in a way that we keep anxiety in check, right? And that, that kind of fair response to things like, where does that where does that serve us and where does that not? And I just feel like, you know, I go, I sit, I have my hour little chat there. I feel good. There's no communion. There's no, like, it's not a religion that I grew up with, right? That type of stuff. I sit there. I learn a different way sometimes of thinking about things. I've had a kind of engagement in my life that I don't use, like, spiritual development is what I consider it, right? Where I've really thought about how's my soul doing? <laughs> like, what am I doing? How am I feeling? All these things. Did that for an hour. And then I leave and I'm good, you know? And that for me is very helpful hmm. and just kind of like modulating my week, right? And so I think people who grow up... You do it Sundays? Is it Sundays? I go Sundays, yeah. yeah. So people who grow up, say, in that tradition have a very different experience than what I grew up with, with Southern Baptists. And so I think that like not all uh, religious and or Christian or any kind of thing is necessarily the same that I kind of grew up with. I'd be curious to talk to more people who, because the people I know who go to that Unitarian church came in it later, like they didn't grow up Unitarian or grow up right. with whatever. Most of them. Yeah, I was going to ask, what's the demographic like? Yeah. Like, is it a lot of ex-Christian, ex-religious people, people? who came from other places. Yeah. Like, um, So even in the, I don't know a lot of people there, but the people that I do know, I don't think I know anyone who grew up Unitarian. Yeah. Like um, one guy's a philosopher, like he came in it as like a philosophy background and he actually had a small group and I was part of it for a while because I love it and I went on a philosophy retreat with him because like a lot of the thinkers that philosopher re philosophers read and students of philosophy read are the exact same thing as sociology so we read Durkheim, Kant, Hegel, Marx like all of the people that they consider philosophers we study them because it's theory of society and so we do like history of social thought classes we'll have all of those people too so we'll literally get together and like read different texts and what did this person mean when they said that and have discussions about that i'm kind of nerdy and geeky i actually love that shit i love no, that's cool. together no, my, the this. wheels are turning in my head like this sounds really cool because <laughs> i'm a nerd too but, totally but again nerd. like what i'm saying like i just like to understand things you know <laughs> Yes. Um, oh my God. And I, one thing I want to go back to what I was yeah, saying earlier totally. about a lot of these issues aren't really pertaining to me in my personal yeah. life. I didn't mean it in a sense of, nah, that shit doesn't matter. It's just a matter of my bandwidth is limited. Yeah. So yeah. I can only spend time researching and knowing about a certain number of topics. Yeah. Right? So for example, the censorship issue, I probably watch a lot. My finger's way more on the pulse yeah. of that issue with the videos and content that I watch on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And 
um, as opposed to, you know, how kids are raised nowadays. Because, yeah. like, you know what I mean? It's not that I don't care about it. It's just it. the censorship thing is literally going to affect my day-to-day, like, how I can make a living in yeah. my no, life. Yeah, no, I so. totally get that. Because even me, <laughs> like, when we were talking about, about BDSM and law with that and sex workers and forced or whatever, I am not as well-versed on those as I am sex education. So I right. can point you to all these people. I can give you the curriculum. Right. I know what's going in Colorado. Actually, speaking of, like, how sex ed has biology physiology all of these things colorado was trying to kill a lot of their sex ed and do this opt-in you can only do it if you do opt-in and things like that and a lot of the blowback and pushback so the on it was parental like, permission for their kids to get it basically that's how it would work well that's what you yes, mean opt-in. kind of opt yeah that's what they were hoping what a lot of schools will do now is it it's offered and they'll send a letter home that says you know you cannot have your kid go if you want to whatever so they can opt out if they want so they wanted to do flip it on its head where it's like you have to opt it in it's like okay, okay so now the biology class can't talk about anything that's <laughs> it's like whoa so we're like wait a minute this is so we can't talk about hormones we can't talk about all these different it's like oh wait sex ed is literally everything and so they ended up rolling that back and not going because they got pushed back by a lot of they're like you can't even define what so what what are we going to teach that wouldn't at all touch anything that sex ed w- might touch on. So your biology class, then are we going to get in trouble because they haven't opt-in? So it was all this stuff and this big upward. Way familiar with that type of stuff, right? Like what's going on sex ed than I am in even like the BDSM world or um, sex worker world or what are the other, what's going on? Well, I was curious stuff. about your thoughts yeah. on porn too, related to the sex worker issue. But yeah. like, what do you think, do you think, porn in general is more detrimental to our society or is it a good thing? I think porn gets as I think my views on porn are that porn gets stigmatized because it's about sex, right? And so I think that like if we were to say our commercials like you know are feeding children t- constant like advertisements to like eat shitty food, that's more detrimental, yeah. right? Than a 20-year-old college kid watching porn and is doing I don't care you know like whatever and so like i think really? that, yeah so i think i've, that I've no... heard from a lot of women who are upset with boyfriends or guys who watch porn or they and, and there are there is some research into it where it's like it leads to decreased sexual performance and um mm. ED and i'm kind of so my they my view in porn so i like i said i feel like porn stigmatized because it's about sex and i have such a sex negative culture in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and so where i always like to start the conversation is like well what do i mean by porn game of thrones have you seen those episodes I would i'm say not cla- soft i'm not porn. i'm not classifying that as porn right but but here's the thing though then so what do we get to classify as porn and not porn i mean like when you go to pornhub.com i'm talking about that <laughs> I'm not talking about you turn on HBO and it's like Game of Thrones is on. Right. Like... But then that's the thing though, right? So then it so then okay. So then if we say Pornhub or what was it, you porn there for a while, whatever. So if you go to specifically to these kinds of sites and the type of stuff that you'll see there, and we say, Okay, is that detrimental to society? I would say it depends what we mean by detrimental. Like if we just mean the watching of sex acts, like adults watching sex acts, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily inherently harmful. Um, if we talk about children and porn, it's different because no, I'm a big yeah, fan I mean, of like yeah, age appropriateness. I- illegal and, exactly. and we yeah, don't want exactly yeah, children watching. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, that's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but as far as adults watching things, I think that we see so much about sex and relationships and what a healthy relationship looks like, how we're supposed to behave as a man or as a woman or as a person in general. We get those messages all the time, and so I think 
we often single out porn and the messages that we may or may not get there just because it's about sex. Bringing it back to religion as well. So um, because I wasn't having sex with Mm -hmm. actual girls in my Mm -hmm. 20s, you still have hormones, you still have desires. So like for me, and I think a lot of Christian men use porn as their outlet, as a substitute for actual real sex because they're not married yet, right? I think that whole construct is totally fucked up because I, I feel like looking back, I would have been so much better off on so many levels actually having sex with real girls in relationships as opposed to this porn substitute, right? But I remember how much shame, like self-inflicted shame, like I would watch porn, I would feel shitty and guilty, I would delete everything sex I had. and you feel like you're not supposed to be yeah. looking at this. Yeah, like, yeah. and I'm like... what I mean about the shame part. Like, yeah, yeah, it was totally the religious shame thing, right? So in my head, porn was this really bad thing that I did. And then all of a sudden I started to have sex, right? With like actual girls. And then I left the church and then I'm like, oh, I could just enjoy porn and watch it leisurely, casually, whatever, yeah. and not feel the shame and yeah. just be like, oh, I feel like it. I'll watch it. You know, yeah, it's like, exactly. Um, so that's been kind of the trajectory of me with porn. But on the other hand, like I've kind of learned about these other movements that are like, like no fap. Have you kind of heard about that whole? Yeah. And I do get it. There are pros and cons to watching porn or not watching porn, huh. to masturbating or not masturbating, you right. know, to being in relationships or not being in relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are all things that I'm feeling out for myself. Yeah. Um, that's just why I, I brought up the question to ask you. Like, I'm just curious, no, like, I what your thoughts are about... I don't think it's inherently bad, you know, and I think it gets so... It's that like stigma it, thing like about it sex. Can, it can be bad for yeah. certain people, it, but it it's kind of comes down to an individual case-by-case case yeah, thing. It can thing, be yeah. bad, just like I think a lot of the movies that we watch about how relationships are or are not supposed to function, right? Romantic comedy. I love romantic comedies. <laughs> I do! I'm, 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 I well, love them. You're I, a woman, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I love like romantic comedies. Most all women love romantic comedies. Oh, my comedies. goodness. I don't know that I'd say that. That's like, I love that's romantic like comedies. That's for women. But... <laughs> <laughs> but uh i wouldn't say that the way that relationships are depicted in romantic is realistic right yeah. exactly and so that's what i mean like porn gets such a like oh but, like, but so much of what we consume you know it's like i wouldn't say that yeah, it's, it's a fantasy like a, but yeah i mean like there's, love them. there's nothing wrong with fantasy no truth, truth <laughs> be told i've watched my fair share of romantic comedies Yay, like see, I, I enjoy it i'm just giving you a hard time i love them i but, love like, yeah, them yeah i like yeah. Uh, have you What's seen, your favorite? Have you seen 500 Days of Summer? That's one of my favorites. I wouldn't even classify it as a rom-com, but I loved that it's movie. It's so good. It's so yeah. good. I liked that one. I liked... Um, there was so much truth in my life in that movie. Like the, the, the guy head over heels for the girl and she just strings him along. Like that was like the story of my life oh, for so long. My goodness. Yeah. I love that movie. I love... Uh, what is it? Groundhog's Day. Like, it's an old one. It's a classic. That's but... one of my favorite movies. No way! But that's I love not that a rom- one. I don't look at that as a rom-com. When, I, when we're talking about rom-coms, I'm thinking of things like, um, what was that? Like, uh, the movie with Hugh Grant. Like, any Hugh Grant movie. <laughs> I love but, it. You know which Notting one? Notting Hill, or uh, About one... a Boy. No, what was or... the other one? Uh, which one? The one that's it's like so the many... one that like everybody's in it. I can't think of it. It's not about... Oh! Oh, the Christmas one. Yeah. Um, love Actually. Love Actually. Yes. That is like, okay. <laughs> that's what I think of when I think of a rom-com. Or like, oh my gosh. Okay. The, all those new movies where all the celebrities come out. Like every year there's like a Valentine's Day one. Yeah. Or like a, and there's one called Valentine's Day where it's right. literally everybody. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Those are like rom-coms oh my in gosh. my head. Oh my God. I love. <laughs> sweet, I love most of them. Sweet saccharin of yes. entertainment. 
sitting there, I literally just, it's like watching Cotton Candy with you guys. It's like, yeah. yeah you know, I just, I just recently watched uh, He's Just Not That Into You. You know, I read the book, but I didn't see the movie. I It took me forever to get around to watching it, uh-huh. and I finally watched it recently. Did you like it? I enjoyed it. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't, I don't know how close it is to the did book. You, did, you, did you like the book? Yeah, I liked it. I was in a different stage of my life, too. But, but so you know how it came about, right? So, like, it started what? with Sex and the City. And so, oh, that book? Yeah, so Sex and the City was a show, obviously, it was on TV and things like that. And there was a writer who was saying, in Greg Brent is his name. He actually had a show, he's a relationships writer. And so I think he was writing on the show or something. And then so they were talking about, uh, something and he either said or wrote or whatever it's like wait a minute no that's not what that's not what the guy's doing like with the writers room is my understanding of how it started he's like no it's just he's just not that into you and they're like oh and so then they have that episode in sex in the city where Miranda's yeah i, I vaguely like, remember he's that. just yeah, not yeah, that yeah. into you right, it's right, like right. somebody said and it's like that whatever so greg turned that into a book and that sold like crazy and then he did another book he got a tv show and all those things but yeah i didn't see the movie but i did read the book and from what I remember, it was a while ago, but I thought it was fine. I thought it was good. Like, yeah. I'm surprised you haven't. It's like, it's a classic rom com. So, oh you should you should watch it. I, but there's so many. I loved French yeah, Kiss with Meg I've, Ryan. That's like that was an old one too. I haven't seen that one. I loved. Um, oh, you Love got Jones. mail. You ever I didn't you got like mail? you got. Yeah, I didn't like you got. It mail. was so. It's funny if you go back and look at it. Even back at the time it was made, yeah. I was like, this is so hokey. The way they're like, AOL. It's such an AOL It looks like such an old, yeah. movie. And they're just Classical. like, ooh, I got an email message. Oh my. He, he, he sent me an electronic mail. <laughs> You're just kind of well, like... Maybe uh, I should watch it now. It's, I hate it's, it when it's hilarious, but it's kind of like, even at the time it came out, I felt like it was dated. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like in the yeah, way yeah, that they're right. like... He sent me an instant message. Like, <laughs> it's it's a message, and I got oh it instantly. God. What is that? Hilarious. You know, just, oh, my God. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it tonight. What? Like, Hilarious. It's, it's, oh, there's yeah. so Someone on Twitter is, like, live tweeting, watching Notting Hill again. I'm like, oh, my God, where's my popcorn? I just wanted to watch their responses <laughs> to it. I love these, like, round comps. My favorite relationships movie, one of my favorite relationships movie, it's called Closer. Which actually started as a play, Wait, I think. Is that the one with Natalie Portman and all the Yes. Yeah, that's like a weird trippy Yeah. I loved that. I thought it was really good about like just kind of talking about like how people actually behave in relationships and misbehave in relationships and all these things. I thought it was like it was more realistic and like the challenges that relationships can bring than some other movies can be. So I really liked that one a lot. I've recommended it to people. But then uh-huh. I also, as much as I love the like sacrally romantic comedies and all of these, I also like really heady movies that make me think differently about stuff. Um, Dude, have you seen Her? I haven't. Dude, that's my future. People have told me to uh, watch this movie. I, I, I remember when okay. my, I think my friend John saw it first and he told me about it. He's just like, Dude, I just saw your future. There's this movie called Her. Oh my god! And he basically falls in love with his operating system, his computer. That's, yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, it totally sounds like my future. No. And then, and then I saw it, and I'm like, just soaking it in. I'm like, oh yeah, like I I I I look forward to technology reaching the point where I'm like, I could just be alone with my computer. No, <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, like more and more and more now. I'm I, I've just gotten so turned off to relationships and dating and, and stuff that I'm like, I'm just looking forward to, you know. 
I, I say this half jokingly, but uh, half kind of. Like, yeah, no, and I believe you. Like I'm looking at you but and I'm seeing that yeah. you mean it. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I've been learning. Yeah, I mean, I've been learning a lot of things lately about like hypergamy. I don't know if you've heard of this expression at all, but um, I've just been really kind of studying the movements that are in play in our society with feminism and with MGTOW. I don't know if you're familiar with that. And um, I'm just absorbing all of these perspectives and information and just, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I'm kind of coming to a point where I feel like men and women are both also fucked up that like, we're so primally driven to just function in certain ways because we're just biologically driven in certain ways. And it, it, it almost comes down to the, the science of it, like the, the bacteria on a particle level, bacteria, like evolutionarily. It's all about the propagation of the species almost. And it's less about personal happiness or satisfaction because I'm, I feel like... You know, there's so many unhappy people out there, women and men. And if you try to plug into the system, it's just not working out right for what, because like what I'm seeing in the, with the, a lot of the feminist movement is a lot of them are blaming men for their problems and they're getting angry at men. I've seen a lot of videos where women are like, where did all the good guys go? Why, or why are guys such assholes? Or why do I keep dating players? And, and We need to get you yeah. off YouTube videos. <laughs> Those YouTube videos. Look at. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm all for having more and more conversations with a lot of different people, but I'm also hearing similar experiences from individuals that I know, you know? And they're not happy, you know? And, uh, and like the girl like who I dated recently, I'm like, she, she was, was angry and... She was lashing out and saying a lot of things to me about my personal happiness and how I'm going to be miserable and I'm going to die alone and all of these things. And it was all projection. And I didn't realize this until afterward when I talked with my sister about it. But I'm like, clearly she's not happy. Like, I've reached a point where, again, like I'm saying, like, I jokingly welcome in my uh, digital um, companionship or whatever. Uh, but... If I grow old alone and never get married, never have kids, I'm getting more and more and more comfortable with that. And not in a sense of, oh, like in an incel kind of way where I'm like, I tried and I tried, I tried to get with a girl and I couldn't. And now I'm just going to grow old alone. Not like that. Like that was probably me in my 20s. But now I look at all the positives of just being single and having my own income for myself, you know, have my great apartment, enjoy watching the shows, travel you know, watch movies and talk about things and get new camera equipment and shoot more photography. Like as long as I'm creating, I'm happy, you know? Okay. So I'm thinking more about the things in life that genuinely bring me happiness and joy that I can continue to do. Um, it, all of these things are very recent thoughts and realizations where I'm like, oh yeah. So in a sense, I feel like I'm kind of removing myself from the game. I think that I agree that I think there are a lot of unhappy people in the world. Like I do. I think that there are, Sometimes, it depends on the day you ask me, sometimes it feels like there are more unhappy people than there are happy people. I think, though, like, I don't know that I would peg the unhappiness to relationships. I think part of it is that, like, we're being, I feel, personally, pulled in so many different directions yeah. to do so many different things. Definitely. Right? And so it's like, we... So if you start at, like, okay, so the way that we live our lives now, right? So if we're like, I live in my own place, you live in your own place, right? So it's like, 
we have to clean our places. We have to make the money. So we have to go to the job or both owner and companies kind of things. So you have to do that stuff. You have to do your finance stuff. So it's not just the money in, but you have to pay your bills. You've got to balance your stuff. You got to do all that stuff. You've got to get your groceries inside of the house. You've got to cook them or you've got to door dash, but you've got to feed yourself. You have to clean up whatever you did. You've got to, so it's yep. like, the struggle All of is these real. Different things, yeah. And then it's like, and then you've got to remember your dentist appointment, your healthcare stuff. You've got to remember to be a good, you know, person to your family, call people and friends, and, all. and so I just feel like we changed. So we've changed our society in such a way that more and more and more and more things are being dumped on the person. I have to bag my own groceries. I've got to do like you just like constantly. <laughs> All in the name of saving the planet, the environment. <laughs> Meanwhile, a multi-billion-dollar corporation just dumps sludge into the river and poisons an entire you know thing of fish. And I have to let, but 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 you carrying your own bags from the store that's going to save yourself. the planet. Stop yourself. I mm. love carrying my own little bags, but it's the fact that I have to put the stuff in there myself. Uh, <laughs> Whatever the bag is, like. Probably gotten, but like yeah, the sense of just we've got to do more. I've got to check, and some of you check your own groceries out too. You check it out yourself right. and bag it yourself. I'm so lazy with that. Like I will always, I will wait in line just to have a person I go through too. it because like I'm too lazy to and I take scan it my own like, things and yeah. do that. I'm like, and I take it as not even I take that as just conserving your energy, not even laziness. But yeah, the sense right. of like I mean, I keyed in general, but I do think like I'll wait in line and be on my phone doing something productive. Yeah. So like, yeah. Or if you do nothing, just a sense wow. of like, I'm not going to do and produce all the time. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of conversation bubble and Lizzo wrote a piece for NBC Think that I shared on my social channels about rethinking social, uh, self-care, right? Because we're like, oh, it's mimosas or it's a back massage or it's whatever. But what if it's also like, I need some free time. <laughs> I need like just the kind of true, like just kind of like self-care Sleep. kind of things. Yep. You know. Sleep. Yeah. Exactly. To not have, I need someone to mentor me through getting from this point to that, or I need this, like all the things that we may need and this different sense of like self-care things. So I think a lot of that happiness, I think, stems from, we're just overloaded systems in a lot of ways. Like yeah. we've got all these things just dumped on us, dumped on us, dumped on us. I, like, oh. I totally agree. So yeah. I feel like that. And so me, I'm extremely on the side of extroversion though. And so for me, I'm like, I want more and more people around me. Like <laughs> I want to be booed up. I'm thinking well, I'm the like, opposite. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, people, I want to just be cuddled with my cat on one side and my man on the other. I just want to be like <laughs> cuddled, like just snuggled with everybody. Like I do. I totally do. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, that's interesting though. I, I don't want kids. I've never wanted kids. I do want a partner again, like a serial monogamous. I go from yeah. one relationship to another, but yeah, until if ever I find the one that I end up staying for. Right. We never know. Um. So on that topic, uh, what yes. do you think about marriage as an institution, both for you personally, but also in society? Do you feel like it's there's yeah. a lot of talk about it being an outdated institution and whatnot and yeah, I feel like, so my feelings of marriage, I feel like uh, the way that I feel about people who opt for marriage is the way that I feel about women who opt to not work when they're married. It's that, like, it may be come across as a more conventional choice. And at the end of the day, if it's working for you and your partner, go for it. So if you want to marry, I think everyone who is a consenting adult who wants to marry should legally be able to marry, not for laws that bar LGBTQ mm-hmm. Uh, people from marrying each other. Like, I think it's kind of crazy that we have to do that. Yeah. But this country has a history of making it illegal yeah. for people to marry each other. But, um, so I'm all for if people want to marry, they should be able to marry. I'm also for people who don't want to marry, you should be able to have some kind of Because marriage rates, I think, stand. are, they're definitely on the decline in Europe. 
or way, way down. They don't marry and, as um, much. And they have and colonies. I think the whole they're probably going down here as well. I think people who don't want to marry should still have legal protections. Like, so say I meet a... Like there shouldn't be person. a financial benefit to, to marriage, an incentive? Yeah, there should be some kind of thing. So like... Well, I think of the example. Sex in the City episode where she married herself. Remember where she... Oh, I totally forgot about that. I think I remember this one. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, she was upset because like everybody else gets to have their wedding gifts and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was like, like she's single shoes. and there's nothing exactly, for her. Exactly, exactly. Right? But yeah, no, I think there should be something. Like say, for example, if I, my partner and I, we decide to buy a place together and we're not married. Like I think that there's a sense of just certain things that if you opt not to marry, you still need certain legal protections like um, for yourself and your partner, I think. Or like if I did have a kid or if my partner had a kid and then if something happens to one of us, we want the other one to be able to care for the kid. Like we should have adult relationships that don't require marriage, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like on a logistical level. Yeah, like exactly. To be able to, right. Exactly. See just each other in yeah, a hospital. If I'm in the hospital, and, exactly. Right, 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 right. exactly. That yeah. There should be some kinds of things. That right. Anyone who wants to marry should be able to, and we shouldn't be required to marry in order to have an adult relationship with another partner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is interesting when I think about marriage, and I didn't really start thinking about this recently, but how it's such a, it's a legal state kind of, thing yeah you know and i and I, I i heard accounts through friends of mine who got divorced and like for men who got taken to the cleaners basically and i'm like it's happening to more and more men where they're like uh i don't want to if, if 53 percent of marriage is end up in divorce and if i'm going to lose like a lot of my monetary like my investment and everything like they don't want to get married if it happens to men more, I think it, like it. If it happens to men more than women, it's because men are earning more than women. And if men are earning more, I mean, it's legacy patriarchy thing that like men are being paid more than women. And so like, because I have a friend, and that was the only case that I had known at the time, where her mother got taken to the cleaners by her father because she was the breadwinner. Because winner. she was making more, right? And this is what I mean. So, but it that, tends to that's be the, the thing of... is like that that system is it's it's clearly flawed. I see the logic of why it was originally created because it would be more like the woman stayed at home. She sacrificed her career, raised the kids and did all that stuff. And meanwhile, the man earned all the money. So therefore, if they divorce 20 years later, she doesn't have the education. She doesn't have the job to fall back on. Therefore, the man would have to pay alimony. That makes total sense. But we live in a different society now. And those laws are are still kind of archaic in that way. So if women are also in the workforce and they're working and they have their own thing, it doesn't really make any sense where she can jump onto her career and her next marriage. And the other thing is back then women were ostracized if they were divorced. So they wouldn't be able to just jump into another marriage and get things going again. So in order to cover that, the alimony made more sense back then. But now, you know, women, men jump in and out of marriages, divorces all the time now. So for the guy to be financially paying for this woman who goes out and has her own job and her career, it doesn't make as much sense. I, I'm all for, like, for men, women, everybody, transgender, everyone, mm-hmm. uh, really having serious conversations about prenups, especially as people married later. Like, we know that people are married. But I've heard even later. prenups get thrown out. It depends on the judge. Like the they, 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 Yeah, like California, stuff, I've like, heard, is really bad. Mm-hmm. Twin state and all these things, and it depends. Like, because what's his name? Was it Steven Spielberg who wrote his prenup on a napkin? I think is the story. Like, I think it was. Like, he wrote his on a napkin, and so that was judged thrown out. So make sure you actually get it done right if you're going to do it. Uh, well, yeah. But I think especially as, and we know people are that 
average age at first marriage is later than now than it was yeah. like 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And the divorce rate, the rate at which people are divorcing is higher. And people are living longer. So we've got more of our lives being lived as singles, right? Because like we're marrying later if we marry at all. And then we're divorcing more. And so we're having more of this life as singles. And so you're building a career, you're building a life, you're building all of these things for yourself, right? And so as we kind of come together or come apart or come together, I think we need to have more conversations about just like, should this not work? What does it look like for us? And that doesn't mean going into it thinking it's not going to work, but it means just realistically being yeah. practical. Like, should this not work? Like, Yeah, I mean, people, people change. And... That's why when I think about marriage, I used to, I mean, I wanted to be married my whole life. I really, marriage and kids, that was, and now that I've actually seen it play out in people's lives and I know friends who've been financially destroyed by divorce and all these things, like even if I met a really great girl who just blew my mind and we totally hit it off, I mean, I might change in the moment. I'd be like, oh, I love you so much. I want to get married. But I could definitely see myself now because I'm so sober about everything. I could just be like, let's just live together and let's just be together. But. I don't really want to get married. I used to want to marry so much because I thought that everybody did and that's what I would do. And so like I thought, oh my gosh, and like now it's like I don't, I never wanted kids. Like the minute that I found out that that doesn't just happen because I, when you're literally like, oh, you grow up, you get a family, it just happens, right? right? And when I realized, oh, wait. You have some oral sex and you have a baby. That's, what, that's, that's, <laughs> that's exactly how that's it what you thought. Yeah, yeah. We don't need sex then if we're going to yeah. do this. Exactly. This is what I mean. That we literally do. Um, I thought that it just happened, you know, when I was a kid. You know, I never thought of it then in terms of sex education. But, yeah. like, yeah, I didn't have any. And so I did <laughs> think that it just kind of happened. You have a kid. And I remember once I knew that you had to do something to actually have a kid. I was like, like I don't want a kid. Like you be married without the kid thing. Yeah, yeah, or all these different things. I was like, nothing in me wants to have a child. I've never wanted to have a child. I don't want to raise children. Um, I love my nephews. I love my friends' kids. I just don't want to have my own child. And so it's like, yeah, yeah marriage, it's like, if I were with a partner where he was like hardcore, like I really want to, it's meant everything to me. It's like, To get married or to yeah, have kids? To, oh, kids definitely not, but to get married. Oh, okay. Then I'd be up for it. Like, for me, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. So if they want to, then, yeah. Do you have any concluding thoughts or anything you want to share about religion Come to my show this summer. (laughs) Yeah, self-promotional. Totally. Go for Uh, it. Come to my show this summer. So in addition to writing, teaching, speaking, I perform one-woman shows about sex education because again it's adult thing where do adults go adults go to theater they go to movies we do all kinds of artistic stuff i have a show this summer called we're all going to fucking die and it's about anxiety and these struggles these questions we all have and all these kinds of things and it's like even still we have to live joyful happy lives it's about having a pleasurable life and that is the point of the show so i'm super excited about that so i encourage people to do that other parting thoughts i would say like If your listeners are mostly people who are interested in the topics about religion, right? So whether it's they weren't Christian and then kind of like left the church or aren't in the church or debating it or they are Christian but they love these kinds of conversations, I just say keep learning, keep listening, keep like I love it that people, one, I love it that this podcast exists. Two, I love it that people listen to it and more people should. It's like these kinds of conversations and these kinds of like, real reflections on values and thoughts and ideas doesn't mean that we're going to agree about everything right right? but we do need to talk to each other about these things so i'm glad that you have this so thank you for having me as a guest yeah awesome thanks for being here yay hope you all enjoyed episode six 
If you look in the write-up for this episode, you'll find some interesting links related to some of what we discussed today about self-love, sex, education for kids, abortion, Steven Spielberg's prenup, and even an article about that German cannibal. Yeah, that actually did happen. Insane. Anyway, lots to chat about. Let's continue the conversation online. What are your thoughts and views on human sexuality? Are we really free to do whatever we want sexually? Or are there actually a lot of limitations on what we're allowed to do, whether you're religious or not, even amongst consenting adults? How involved should the government be in all this? A lot of tricky questions there, with no obvious answers. We'd be curious to hear your thoughts. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment. If you're not a flat-out troll, I'll actually respond. Also, you can reach out on Instagram, at Confusianity, of course. As for my guest Twana, you can check her out at funkybrownchick.com, and she's got a fabulous new live show in DC happening very soon called We're All Going to Fucking Die. <laughs> for more information on show dates, tickets, etc., visit funkybrownchick.com fringe. Link is in the description. Anyway, in case you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Confusianity Podcast on your platform of choice. Currently available on YouTube at youtube.com slash confusianity and pretty much all the other major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. For a list of all available platforms, visit anchor.fm slash confusianity. And if you're listening on Apple, would love it if you left a positive rating and review. And of course, if you know a friends and family who'd enjoy the show, sharing is caring. Until next time, my friends, stay sexy.